Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you together today. Uh, we are going to be in Romans chapter 13 today. And uh, Lord willing, we will knock out this chapter today and be able to move on. Romans chapter 13, we're going to read together verses 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's pray together. Father, we come into your presence uh, corporately this morning. We worship you. We give you honor and declare that you are God. That we are not and there is none like you. We bow down before you and give you praise for what you have done for us in creating us and sustaining us and in redeeming us. We praise you for Christ and this salvation we have in Him, the fact that we have peace with you in your Son. Father, we come to this passage this morning and we recognize at the outset that, that we have not obeyed this passage this week. That we have been distracted by this world, by the pleasures of this world, that uh, there are times when we have not thought of you and we have not committed our ways to you and we have not loved you as we ought, nor loved our neighbor as ourselves. That is true for each of us here. And we confess that to you as sin. And we ask for your forgiveness and we find it in Christ and we rejoice in the fact that once again, we have peace with you. We uh, celebrate Jesus. And as we look to your word today and we read this passage and we think about our lives and the times in which we live and the things ahead of us, we want to understand what you have for us here. We want to understand what these things mean in our lives. We want to see Christ. And so we ask that you would show him to us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I don't know the excuses you tend to use in your life. I have numerous excuses, and one of them is, I just lost track of time. And uh, that happens quite a bit. I've pulled that one out every now and then. But uh, as I was reading through this passage and studying this week, a story occurred to me, a history of my own, uh, from my own past, where I was uh, playing football. I played exactly one season of football because I was a little guy. And so if you can imagine a ping pong ball on the field, that was pretty much me. And uh, so I played that one season and then I was all done. Well, uh, I was, and actually John Billet was my coach. I don't know if he remembers that, but he was. And uh, during that year, uh, before a big game, our coach told us that we were to have a curfew and we were to be home before a certain time. And I don't remember what the time was. Let's say it was dark. I don't remember. But we had a big game the next day and he didn't want us out. He didn't want us uh, being tired for the game. He wanted us to focus on what we were doing. And so we were to be home on time, etc. Well, several of us stayed the night at a friend's house, another football player, and we stayed at his house. And we decided it'd be a good idea to go to the park right over here and, and play and goof off. And I don't remember what we did exactly, but uh, we had fun and we were 
uh, we were there playing and, and uh, lost track of time. And what we didn't know was that the coach lived right there by the park. And he could hear these boys running out playing in the park, and he could recognize their voices, and he knew just who they were, and he knew that he had given instructions of where we were to be at curfew time. Well, so of course, uh, the next day we show up for the game, and, and the coach was pretty upset at us because we had broken curfew, and how in the world did you know we broke curfew? Because <laughs> no, I live right there and was listening to you and uh, knew all that went on. And so we, of course, received some form of discipline that was appropriate, I'm certain, uh, the next day during the game uh, or before the game, because we lost track of time. And when you lose track of time, you can end up doing things that you shouldn't do or doing things at times you should not be doing those things. It's not wrong for a bunch of high school guys to go play in the park. It's not wrong for us to chase each other and throw the football around and, and all of those sort of things. It wasn't wrong. It was just the wrong time. And uh, so when we lose track of time, we can end up doing things like that. And our passage today gives us a warning to pay attention to the time and behave accordingly. To be aware of what time it is and to act in accordance with what time it is. So he says, you know the time. You know the time. Now, a couple of things about the translation here. The ESV, actually, I, I don't think does a great job. The ESV translates it, besides this, you know the time. Well, in the Greek, it's, it just says, and this, knowing the time. And I think it means, and do these things because you are aware of the time. All of the instructions, all of the commandments of chapter 12 and into chapter 13, he says, do these things because you are aware of what time it is where we are. He's talked about uh, these commands of chapter 12 and chapter 13 that have begun really the, the section of Romans where he's telling us what we ought to do, how we ought to live in light of all of the truths of chapter 1 through 11, which is the gospel. The fact that God has saved a sinful people by His Son placed us into his family, forgiven us of our sins. We are now dead to the law. We have his spirit living within us to obey him, to walk with him. He's made us his own, and he's making us to look like his own. He says in light of all of that stuff, we have these commands of chapter 12 and chapter 13, how we are to relate to one another, how we are to relate to the world around us, and how we are to relate to temptations. And he says here, and this, knowing the times. Why are these things important? Because we are to know the times. He says, I think what he's communicating here is that we are to anticipate Christ's presence. He says, besides this, you know the time, or and this, knowing the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We can talk about salvation, and the Bible does talk about salvation in different verb tenses. Sometimes it talks about us having been saved. It's a past tense thing. The Bible can also talk about us being saved now, that God is at work fleshing out this salvation for us now, that he is actually preserving us, he is actually protecting us so that you can speak in different places of the Bible of us being saved. He is at work doing that. And the Bible can talk about a salvation that is future. That is when we have a full and final deliverance, not just from the power of sin, not just from the penalty of sin, but from even the presence of sin. When we are raised to newness of life, or when we see Christ face to face, we will be saved. The Bible can talk about salvation in each of those tenses. And here it says, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Meaning, it's in the future, but it's, it's, a, it's a nearer future. This salvation, I think he's talking about being in Christ's presence. 
either because that's the next thing that we are to expect in in uh, the history of the world is that Christ will return, we will be in his presence, or more likely because very soon we will die and be in his presence. Each of us will face that. Each of us will face that time when this life will end and and we don't know when that will be. And some have lived a good, long, and full life and, and don't know when that end will be. And others are at the beginning of life and they're thinking they have a long, full life ahead of them. And I hope they do, but maybe they don't. There will come a time when we will be face to face with Christ, when we will be in his presence. And that day is nearer now than when we first believed. He says we are to be aware of the time. Anticipate Christ's presence. My wife isn't here today. She's working in the nursery, so I can tell a story on her. You see that frequency with which I tell stories about her kind of coincides with her not being here. When we were engaged, I drove up to the airport to pick her up. She was staying with, uh, with us here in Fallon for a while. And I drove up there, and I remember the sheer joy and energy that I had. This was back in the old days when you could go right to, you know, right, right on to, uh, into the terminals and whatnot at the, wait at the gate for the person to come off the plane back in the day. And uh, I remember just that, the, just bursting with energy that I was a little bit late. That happens with me sometimes. And, uh, and I, it didn't matter because I was just sprinting through the airport, just, just bursting with energy. I was, you know, jumping and touching the ceiling. I was just run, I was happy, excited because I'm about to see my uh, soon-to-be bride, right? I had bursting energy because I was anticipating being in her presence. My actions, my energy level, my decisions were geared around, I'm going to be with her very soon. And so I was so happy and I was so stoked that I was about to be with my soon-to-be bride. If we have in mind the fact that we will soon be in Christ's presence, it should have that kind of an impact on us. Where we live this life now in light of the fact that we will be face-to-face with Him. And the joy that I experience face-to-face with my wife, or my soon-to-be wife in that story, the joy that I experienced, which was a real and genuine and powerful joy, will pale in comparison to the joy we will experience when we're face-to-face with our Savior. And how much more it ought to motivate us, how much more that ought to get right down to our heartbeat, that we will soon be in Jesus' presence. Not, no longer walking by faith, but by sight, We will see Him as He is and we will fall down and we will worship Him without the power of sin in our lives or without even the presence of sin. We will be in His presence fully. And what a motivation that ought to be for how we walk or run now. We ought to be energized by that. We ought to be motivated by that. We ought to be driven by that. How that ought to vitalize our lives. Anticipate Christ's presence Because the old era fades. The old time, the old epoch fades. He says, The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The night is far gone. It's almost over. It's fading. That nighttime is about finished. What does he mean by nighttime? The nighttime is talking about this era where we live now, that that though, though we have this salvation now, though we know Christ now, though we have forgiveness of sins now, yet we live in this world with sin's influence around us, walking around in this fleshly body, tempted by that sin, and this time of darkness is passing. It's almost over. It's far gone. We're almost to the end of it. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, when he was headed to the cross, he said in John 12, 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. It was imminent. It's begun. It has happened. The the clock has started for the end of this era, the end of this age. 
that we are looking forward now to the era to come, to the daytime, which is how he talks about it. The new era is dawning. That we who were born in this age, we who were born in this flesh, we who are born in this world with all the darkness that comes with it, yet we have been made in Christ children of the light, children of that daytime to come. And this world is passing away and we look forward to that dawning era. We look forward to that time. And Paul can say even in 1 Corinthians that if anyone is in Christ, he is already a new creation. We have membership in the new heavens and the new earth already. We are already a new creation. That that, that time, that era has, has, has burst into this current era. And we have a life there. We have identity there. We have citizenship there. The new era is dawning. And so we look forward to that. The clock is ticking on this world passing away, this, this dark time. And we are looking forward to being face-to-face with Christ We are looking forward to that daytime. We are looking forward to being in the light. So he says that we need to be aware that the time of the darkness is passing, that the time of the light is coming. The new era is dawning even now. People are even now being set free from from Adam's curse. The kingdom of Christ is even now beginning. He's already forming it. It's happening. The daytime's coming. So he says, in light of the times in which we live, the implications are are pretty simple. Live accordingly. Live accordingly. First of all, wake up. Wake up. The time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The idea is that you were sleeping. Don't we have a tendency to sleep? We have a tendency to go through life not really aware of of, uh, what is happening around us or what is most significant. I can go outside and and I've got something important to do and and I see a weed, so I pull the weed and then I pull another weed and then 20 minutes have passed, I've been pulling weeds. I haven't done the thing that I was supposed to do yet. I've been distracted by something that kept me from doing what was most important. I need to wake up And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more it seems like time flies. I remember being in high school and driving to school in the mornings, and I would at times think, where did the last two miles go? I don't really remember those last two miles. Well, now I'm a little older than high school, and and I look at my life, and I think, where did those last two months go? (laughs) I don't even hardly remember them. It's easy for us to be distracted. It's easy for us to fall asleep, to lose focus on what is most important. Things can grab our attention. They can trick us into ignoring what is most important, what really matters. We can be distracted by those small things, and it says, if we are asleep, wake up. I've listened to... uh, I, I, I try to... I can... I try to resist the temptation to be a news junkie, okay? (laughs) I'm confessing to you now. There are people who watch more news and read more news than I do, by far, by far. I know that's the case. I try to limit myself uh, on doing that. But in our time that we live in now, when I listen to pastors talk about this world, when I listen to the news, when I hear things going on, I, I think about the geopolitical events going on. I think about you know, China's growing power and threats, some that are subtle and some that are not so subtle. When I, when I think about um, the rise in censorship, when I think about the fact that, that pastors are being arrested for doing what we're doing here, it, it startles me. It makes me uh, uncomfortable in the world in which we live. When I look at the economic policies that would spend trillions of dollars and then do so again not too long from now, when we didn't have the ability to pay back the first trillions of dollars that we spent. I think of the economic impact of that. I think about uh, the civil unrest that exists and has existed in the last 12 months in our country. I think about all that stuff, and, and, and I think it's time to wake up. And so some of us have looked, and, and we thought, well, in light of 
economic trends, I probably uh, need to be more self-sufficient. I need to get rid of debt. I need to be able to provide for some other things. I need to uh, maybe grow a garden. I may, who knows what uh, our times will bring? I don't know. I know there are more people planting gardens now that uh, haven't done so in the past. What's going to happen? What, what should be our response to this world? What should be our response to the trajectory of all the things that are going on in this world? Well, there should be a response on our part. We should wake up and, and no longer continue as if everything uh, was, was hunky-dory like it was when I was a kid, if things were actually hunky-dory when I was a kid. We need to wake up. And a lot of people are. There, there are um, a lot of people waking up to the fact that they need to think differently about this life. But folks, the waking up we're talking about here is not geopolitical. The waking up that we're, that we're talking about here in Romans is so much more important and so much more powerful and so much more weighty even than the course of this world. He says we need to wake up to the spiritual realities around us. We need to wake up to the fact that eternity is real and it lasts a long time. That this life is brief. We don't even know how brief. And we only have this life to prepare for the future one. We only have our time, our 60, 80 years that we have in this life before we step into eternity. We need to wake up to those things. We need to wake up to those realities that, that we need to wake up to the fact that we live in a world that would lie to us about everything that's important. That would lie to us about the existence of God that would lie to us about what God is like, that would lie to us about who we are, what we are really like. The world would lie to us about each of those steps and a million in between to deceive us, to throw us off, to keep us from waking up. And folks, one of the reasons we come to church on a Sunday morning is so that we can be reawakened to what is most important. To the fact that judgment is coming. There will come a time when my heart will stop beating and I will be face to face with Christ. There will come a time when the unbeliever will experience his last joy. And he'll be face to face with his judge. And there's no turning back. We need to wake up. And he calls us here to wake up. To be alert to what is going on. Be alert to the realities of salvation in Christ and salvation in Christ alone. The first change that we need to make is that we need to get rid of our night clothes. Get rid of our night clothes. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness. He's using imagery here of changing clothes, taking off the old clothes and putting on the new ones. He's using that kind of imagery, that kind of language about clothing. He gives the image of us, you know, when you're asleep, you wear sleeping kind of clothes. When the daytime comes and you go about your daytime stuff, when you go to work, when you begin your day, you change your clothes. It would be very startling if you didn't change your clothes when you go to do your daytime things. And he's saying that's how it is in this world. That's how it is in this life, Christian. This world would have you sleep. This world would have you just continue in those nighttime clothes. Just keep your eyes closed and the, and the, and the, and the curtains drawn. When in reality, it's light. It's daytime. The daytime's coming. We need to live in light of the daytime and he gives examples here of, of the opposite of that. He says in verse 13, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and in jealousy. See, he's not actually talking about clothes. He's talking about the things that we do. The things we occupy ourselves with. The things that 
can be distracting to us. So we look up and two miles have gone and, or two months have gone or, or two decades have gone. And, and where did the time go? What have I been doing? Well, I've been distracted by this thing. And he lists some of those things, orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. These are the things that happen at night, not, not only at night and not always at night, but they're associated with the nighttime. You can get away with that stuff in the night. It's dark. People can't see you. You can sneak in. You can sneak out. You can. Those things happen at night. And he's saying these are the kinds of things that this world would trip us up into. These are the kinds of things that our flesh would cooperate fully in wanting to pursue these things. We can be distracted and we can forget that, that God is a reality, that this salvation in Christ is real. We can be distracted by this world and into these types of things, orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. And then he says, quarreling and jealousy. Well, that doesn't only happen at night. I, don't, I haven't done a poll to see if it happens more or less in the nighttime or the daytime, but how often do we slip into that? Maybe, maybe those first four things, well, not so much. How often do we slip into quarreling? How often are we distracted by that? You said that against me. You did that thing, and I just know it. Quarreling and jealousy with one another, and the way we treat each other, and we look up and two miles have passed. Two months have passed. These are the works of darkness. These are the works of darkness that Paul has been arguing in Romans, those are still the things our flesh would like to do. Those are still the things we would revert back to if given the chance to live like that, to pursue those things. Maybe not so overtly, maybe, maybe only in the heart. But Jesus talked about what's in the heart. And he says we need to get rid of our night clothes. We need to take off those works of the sinful flesh like an old garment, and instead we need to dress for the light. Dress for the light. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, verse 12. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. There's a translation difficulty here. The word armor usually means weapons. It usually means something like instruments. And the idea that he's trying to convey is we need to be prepared for life in the daytime. You don't want to go to battle wearing your nightgown. Right? You better have armor on. Okay, you, you don't go to work in what you slept in. You need to be prepared for the day. And that's what he's talking about here. We need to dress for the light. What is this light and what is this darkness? Well, it's, it's, it's obedience, it's disobedience, it's, it's God's commands versus the works of the flesh. But he's been spelling this out for 11 chapters in the book of Romans. Spelling out for us what darkness looks like. And he started off in the first couple of chapters pointing out that that darkness is not some distant place out there, is it? It's right here. We carry it around with us. It's, it's what we were born into. It's what our flesh would still crave. It's, it's sin. It's what would still reel us back in. But, but, Paul doesn't end there. That's what we're born into. That's what, that's what we naturally crave. That's what we naturally do. And, by the way, we naturally deserve the consequences of that, which is judgment from God. But instead, he sent his son. He didn't leave us just in Adam. He didn't leave us just in that sin. He sent his son who obeyed in our place, who went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And he did so to redeem us so that he has earned reward and that reward is given to us. So that our old nature has been, has been dealt with. We have died with Christ and we've been raised to newness of life. And he says we are to dress for the light. We are to understand what obedience to God looks like. 
We are to understand that Jesus is the one who obeyed perfectly, and we are to dress ourselves. Well, the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? I know it's confusing at this point. I think, I think the discussion here of how we do that will clarify that. First of all, we need to understand how desires grow. How do desires grow? Desires are like a vegetable garden, right? You give water and it increases. You withhold water, it tends to wither. And desires within us are similar to that. If there's a desire you want to cultivate, well, give it water. Give it some nutrition. Feed it a little bit. If you're wanting to share Christ with unbelievers, if you want to read your Bible more, then you need to water that desire. Ask God to help you want it more. And then go do that thing. If you want to develop a desire to read your Bible, open your Bible and begin to read. You will find that it develops a taste. It increases that desire in you. You need to do that thing. If you want to have a greater desire to share the gospel with unbelievers around you, ask God to give you a greater desire and go share the gospel. Go start having spiritual conversations and you will see that desire grow as God grows that within you. But on the other hand, if we have desires that we don't want to cultivate and each of us has desires that we don't want to cultivate, we want those to wither, we want them to shrink, well, we should pray and ask God to work in us and in our hearts to take away those desires, to instead give us desires for good things like Him, like honor, being honoring to Him in our lives. But unfortunately, we can't just make up our mind to stop desiring something. You can't just say, I'm not going to want that anymore. You can say that, but it's not true. You saying it doesn't make it so. Turns out, I like donuts. I like to eat donuts. I desire donuts. And on a Tuesday morning when I come into the office and, and Rochelle, who loves us, has bought donuts for us, I don't just get to say, I don't desire donuts. I mean, I can say that, but I would be lying because I like donuts. So how do we change a desire? We don't just make a decision. How do we change a desire? Well, we ask God to help us. And then we increase and build our desire for other things. When uh, I realize that I like donuts and other pastries, and I want to eat healthier than that, uh, something I do is I try to feed myself as full as I can get on good things. On good things. And at first, I still want the donut. Though advice I've been given before is, you know, keep eating the good things until even a donut doesn't sound good. When I've done that, that takes a lot of food because donuts sound really good. But when I do that, when I feed myself full of what is good and deny myself the donut, the next time I do it again, I deny myself the donut. And after time, I don't want the donut anymore. I want the good thing. I've developed a desire for what is good. I've, I've fed that desire. I've watered that desire. And so now I, it's not that I don't like donuts anymore. I do like donuts, but I want something else so much more that I'll pass on the donut because I want to eat what is good. Well, how does that apply in our situation? As we're talking about walking with Christ, as we're talking about the Christian life, we're not talking about donuts. He says, don't provide for the flesh. Don't provide for the flesh. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. That means pass on the donut. But it's not just a negative thing. But we do indeed pass on the donut. <clears throat> Martin Luther said, I can't keep sparrows from flying over my head, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. Okay, I, the desire is out there, but 
I can keep it from making a nest in my hair. He says, don't provide for the flesh. Don't let it build a nest in your hair. Don't let that desire make a home in your life. Don't let that desire grow stronger by giving it water, by giving it food. In other words, don't set yourself up for failure. Don't put yourself into a situation where the desires of your sinful flesh will have an advantage. If you struggle with worry, you might want to turn off the news and you might want to spend more time reading your Bible. Did you know the Bible will not develop worry in you? I guarantee you the news will. So if you worry, if you're given to worry, there are certain steps you can take. If you struggle with gluttony, don't go to the buffet. Don't go to the all-you-can-eat joint. Right? Don't give provision for the flesh. If, you, if you're a procrastinator, make a schedule of when you're going to do your work so that you can get it done. Don't just leave your week open and say, well, you know, I've got a lot of work to do, but I'll get around to it. You just gave provision for your flesh. You just gave opportunity for your flesh to express its sinful desires. So make a schedule, work your schedule. If you struggle with lust and pornography, don't put yourself in a place where you have unprotected access to the internet and time to kill. You're providing for the flesh. We are to not to make provision for our flesh. We do that a lot. If you think about your schedule, if you think about your week, if you think about the sins that, that you kind of do over and over because they're not a big deal. I mean, the really big ones, well, yeah, you don't do those things, right? But this little thing, it's not a big deal and nobody really knows about it. And it might even actually not be sinful. And you keep making provision for that, like worry, right? Or maybe it's, maybe it's a uh, jealousy. And you keep going back to Facebook. And you're flipping Facebook. And you see that other people have life better than you do. They have a, a better, newer gadget than you do. They smile more than you do. Their spouse smiles more than you do. And meanwhile, in your heart, this jealousy is just growing. A jealousy of these other people's situations, which, by the way, aren't real. They're looking at your situation doing the same thing. But see, we make provision for the flesh. If I struggle with jealousy, if I struggle with worry, if I struggle with these things and yet I go back to them again, I really hate being jealous and, and having these bitter feelings towards other people. I wonder what they're doing. And we're looking at Facebook. We're feeding that. We're making provision for the flesh. We need to stop doing that. But more importantly than that, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to put on Christ. Just a couple of simple words that carry all the power, that carry all the, the freight of this passage. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, Woody stole my thunder earlier when he read from Romans chapter 6, so thanks a lot, Woody. <clears throat> Paul is talking about this similar thing. He doesn't use the exact same language, but... Right in the middle of the discussion of what it means to be in Christ, no longer in Adam, in Christ, we, we, we benefit from what Christ has given us, including having died to sin. Sin is no longer our master. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Christian, you are not a slave to sin. And he makes these statements in Romans 6. Verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And again, he's not saying pretend like you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says in Christ, you are dead to sin and you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you need to think that way. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present 
your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He says, first of all, you need to remember what is true about you, Christian. That you have died with Christ to sin. And sin is not your master. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You have been made alive in Christ. That is true about you. Now you need to think that way. You need to get that straight in your mind. You need to remind yourself of that because sin will tell you, hey, slave, come do this thing that I'm telling you to do. And our flesh says, oh, okay. As if we're still a slave. We are not enslaved. We have been set free and we need to remember that we have been set free lest we go and pretend to be slaves of sin yet again. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I've been set free from that old master. My new master is God. What would you like me to do? Here, I present my members to you for your use. What would you like to do? I'm available. That's the way Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6, but he talks about it also in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 14, and this is where we're going to end today. Colossians 3, verses 9 through 14, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He says, you have done this, Christian. This is what it means to be a Christian, as this has happened. You have put off the old self and put on the new self. There is a reality about you that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Already. This is not the goal we aim towards. There are aspects of that. This is what has been accomplished when you came to Christ. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That's the reality of us in Christ. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, verse 12, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So put on these actions, put on these behaviors that are consistent with the reality of who you are. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says, Christian, there is a reality about you that you must keep in mind. That you were once dead in your trespasses and sins but you have been made alive in Christ. You are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins. You are now alive. You were once enslaved to sin. It's the way you were born. It's what it means to be an Adam. Sin called the shots. Sin said jump and you said how high. But in Christ you have died to sin. And you have been set free. You've been made alive to God. You have a new master. You have a new Lord. These are realities that are true about every single Christian. So we need to think that way. We need to realize what is true about us. We need to meditate on what has been accomplished for us, what Christ has done for us in making us a new creation in Christ and put on Compassionate hearts and kindness and forgiveness and love for one another. Put on behaviors that are consistent with those things. It doesn't accomplish us becoming a new creation. It doesn't accomplish us having or gaining peace with God. It flows from the fact that we are a new person. So just three quick points from Colossians 3. There's a sense in which the believer has already put off the old self with its practices and has already put on the new self. And number two, the Christian 
needs to be reminded that his identity is now defined by being in Christ. And number three, in light of that reality then, he is to put on the practical expressions of that new reality. Compassionate hearts, love, etc. The things that are his in Christ. He simply needs to walk in them. We have a new identity. We have a new reality. We have been made new in Christ. And he has put his Holy Spirit who lives within us. Who helps us to obey. Who works in our hearts. Not just to create us new and and make us new creatures in Christ. But also to help us walk in obedience to him. In the ways that we now want to. Because we have been made new. So the application here, put on Christ. Christian, you have died with Christ and sin is no longer your master. Your identity is in Christ. His death is your death. His life is your life. So step out and walk in light of that reality. This is who you are. So our passage today is about understanding the times, and I don't mean the eschatological, uh, end of the world, uh, the news is scary, and what might happen. That's not what I mean. Live in light of the times, because our times are brief. Your time is short. I don't know how short, and neither do you. Short might mean 60 years, or short might mean tomorrow. Our time is short, and it is no fun It is no fun to be caught in that place where we've lost track of time. Like when the coach uh, found out that we were out playing in the park and we found out about that and had to run laps or whatever it was we had to do. I've blocked that out of my memory so that I wouldn't remember it. But we were more than a little dismayed that we had forgotten what time it was. But when, when Christ appears, whether at his return or when we've graduated from this life into his presence, there will be no dismay for Christians. There will be joy and there will be peace and there will be worship. And suddenly everything will become clear. All those life struggles that we, that we face now and are so confusing, they will all be straightened out. Any sacrifices that we feel like we've made in this life that feel huge, they will suddenly be so clearly worth it in our minds that we will wonder what the fuss was about. When we see him, Our priorities will finally be perfectly brought into line. And I want to live now in light of that moment. Not fear of dismay, but being aware of the joy of us being together. Like me sprinting down the halls at the airport. Bursting with energy because I was about to see my fiance. I was about to get to be with her. And it governed the way I behaved leading up to that. Christians, let's let's remember the times. Let's remember that we are approaching that time of being in His presence. I want to govern my life now in light of that. I want to feel that same energy, that same joy, that same utter excitement knowing that I'm about to enter Christ's presence so that I'm bursting with energy so that I can, I can run around and I can, I, can, I can jump and I can live life, even in difficult situations, joyfully anticipating being in His presence, knowing His smile. That's how I want to live now. I don't, I don't want to get to that point and be like, the last time, last times of the years of my life, I, I wasn't, celebrating being in Christ's presence. I want to celebrate that now. I want to rejoice. I want to serve in Him, serve Him and walk in Him. I want to live this life now in light of being in His presence then. Knowing that joy and bringing that joy from when the day has fully dawned into the waning night now. Let's pray. Father, Thank you 
that you have warned us, cautioned us in advance that the time is short. Thank you also that we don't have to look at that future judgment as Christians. We don't have to look at that time when we will be in Jesus' presence and, and, and shake and, and wonder. As Christians, judgment has been poured on Christ and we have peace with you through Him. And our union, our reunion with Christ will be joy, will be excitement, will be celebration. Father, I pray that the time between now and then we would examine our lives and we would, we would say, how can looking to Christ, being in His presence, energize my life even now? Maybe I ought to be running instead of walking. Maybe I ought to be leaping instead of moping. Maybe I ought to have my eyes fixed on Him rather than on the things this world offers. That's how I want to live, with my eyes fixed on Christ, dressed for the day, knowing that that day is even now dawning. May we be aware of the times and live accordingly. We ask for your blessing this week. Help us to do this. Help us to go out of here thinking about what it means to be in Christ's presence. That we would go in joy. That we would celebrate Christ, that we would live lives in keeping with the fact that we will one day be face-to-face with Him. Help us in that by Your Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There will be a family up front who would love to pray with you if you have a, a need to pray for. These words from Paul in 1 Thessalonians will send us out. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God bless you all. And you're dismissed.